giving you guys another episode. Sean, you still got that cough in you? Yeah. Big dude. I uh I've been rocking a three week long cough. And you know. I guess it's like a winter thing. Maybe it's a, I don't know. You were sick for the winter break. Mom was sick. Gerald was sick. Tito was sick. All of our, all of our family was sick in Atlanta. Uh, and then they passed it to me up here somehow. Right. But uh, I'm just, you know, I only have the cough and a little runny nose. I feel energy levels are high. High energy okay. levels. All right. Good vibes. Not, Good vibes. Not dealing with. I did have a crippling headache a couple of days ago that you were on the phone with me for, yeah. and it was about one of my darkest moments of 2024, yeah. but 12 back, days in no biggie. I'm feeling good. You know, there's going to be much darker moments this year anyway. So it's all good. Yeah. I mean, you know, at least the, at least you're getting more sunlight per day than darkness per day right now. So there, there, there is right. Isn't that how that works? Completely false. Um, but we are getting more sunlight today than we did yesterday. Right. That's we what I'm more saying. sunlight than darkness. You know, we still only ooh, have like five ooh. hours. Well, you're you're slowly getting your your sun sunlight back. <laughs> yeah, by the time it's I did or out, you got half light, half dark. So it'll be interesting to see how we do on this intro for you guys today because we are up against the clock. Sean is about to be on the road to the Copper Basin. And we've got this small window to talk about the Kinnick 200, which Sean was at and has lots of insight on. And then also to give a little preview of the remix of the Copper the Basin on a preview. We'll play literally like 80, 90% Kinnick. And, 80, uh, 90 Kinnick? Okay. All right. Uh, That's the ratio. Copper Basin because we, we can talk. We can have all the time in the world after this to talk about Copper Basin. <laughs> but absolutely yeah connect 200 was super uh super enjoyable weekend reconnect with a lot of friends and um and it was a really just good vibes it's a really fun race to go to and it's i think it's uh if you're in alaska and you have the availability to go and see the start or the finish or somewhere in between it's just you know an hour and a half from anchorage so it's, it's definitely worth going to um but yeah of course go ahead brennan well i was gonna say if anyone went to i i I can't speak to the the start of the race but man the end of the race was exciting you know with i mean with brent and emily but then even like the race for uh i'm pretty sure ryan rennington got third pretty easily but then the race for four and five between what was that that was amanda and travis beals and then like Eddie was like six or seven minutes behind that. I mean, if you actually went to a, the finish line for this one, it would have been super exciting to see. Um, so just thought I would throw that in there. Not like yeah. not every finish is exciting. Sometimes it's Most aren't, a musher honestly. comes in and then 15 minutes, another musher comes in, or maybe it's three hours later, another musher comes in. So uh, just like seeing the video from Mikhail Casey of, of the uh, finishing, that was that was awesome. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Do you have the list of finish times up? Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's go to <laughs> let's go ahead and share that for you. And bam. 
All right. So it's not like in perfect order. Like it, no. it's not like that's the okay, his last place was uh Josiah. So he's not he's just like there in fifth. So yeah, was, yep. <clears throat> we'll start from the bottom and uh or not from the bottom of the list, but from the bottom of the finishers. Firstly, there's some scratches, you know, a, a pretty high attrition rate for this race. Uh <clears throat> there was really soft and punchy trails. So uh statistically you're gonna have more dogs get sore um a sore wrist or a sore shoulder uh that was a big thing with uh people like um you know matt failer uh ed hopkins um and we had you know matt randall had an unfortunate incident where he uh, hurt his knee uh trying to pick some pick some litter up off the trail you know a lot of the booties were flying off with these punchy punchy trails and it was basically the people described those conditions as sugary so it literally the snow it's look it, it looks feels and it has everything um similar to what sugar would be like out there which is just real soft and it's not good for sliding efficiently on your on your runners and on your sled so um you know Hydration, you know, was a big thing uh, with dogs. You know, people needing to keep keep uh, kind of go take the extra effort to get their keep their dogs hydrated. We have saw some people kind of see some early signs of uh, issues that were like, all right, you know what, you know, our dogs aren't super. They're they're not. You know, we're not seeing nice clear urine. Let's, you know. It wasn't like it got a serious situation, but it was just a step or two before that. And that's when mushers, you know, it's always that just before it's a serious situation that they are able to see that in their dogs and realize, all right, let's either A, you know, get this dog some IV or uh, B, you know, maybe we just call it a race. You know, we've got a couple dogs that are maybe are a little dehydrated and, and we're running the Cusco in two weeks, you know. I think Josh had a, some hydration issues. Josh McNeil, you know, he's running the Cusco in two weeks. It, you know, we're th- that's the big picture here. You know, only the top five teams here in the Connect get paid out. You know, he was looking to be in that top five, but once it didn't seem like it was in the cards, it's like, all right, let's just wait until we get to Cusco, get our team back and healthy and and a hundred percent. And then we can go, you know, over to Bethel, maybe, you know, you get 10th place, you get 10 grand pretty much over there. So it's uh, not, it's not just about money, but it's also just like, that's the big, more, the bigger, more competitive event that mushers are kind of like, I'm going to hold my like best team and make my push, you know, in that event over this event because if you make you could have a lot of these scratches they could have finished and finished with a healthy team but the recovery might have been a little bit longer you might have had some dogs that otherwise would have made it to Cusco and still need to take time off you know a couple weeks later Uh, so it was just kind of a risk management thing with those teams um the red lantern go ahead well, I wanted to ask you a question. So you're talking about sugary snow, uh, and I'm over here, not a musher, and I'm thinking of like a comparison, right? So if we were in a snow fight, 
this would be the least desirable snow to have in your corner as you're trying to like throw snowballs. Is that right? That's a very well put. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just was trying to visualize things a little bit since I, I don't have that experience of being in Alaska like you do. So, uh, thank you for clarifying that. And, uh, the other thing I was going to say, and this maybe isn't the case for all the mushers, but, um, I was talking to Eddie the other day and he was telling me that he himself was a little bit dehydrated because in a race like this, where it's just like, it's 24 hours, essentially. Right. I think it was the, the, I think the winning time was 25 or 26 hours. Um, he, I don't think he was maybe giving himself the same amount of care as the dogs. And so uh, we were talking about, I was like, I was watching the Kale Casey video. I was like, oh, you you looked a little tired at the end there, (laughs) which obviously everyone is. But but he was like, man, I don't think I drank enough water. So I just thought that was an interesting point to bring up from the musher's perspective is like, yeah, obviously you want your dogs to be hydrated and well-fed and all of that. But also there's an element of the musher taking care of themselves too. Yeah, it's really hard to want to drink water when it's cold out and you're not hungry and you're not thirsty really. And it's water just tastes so bland. So these people, you know, a lot of folks, you know, Gatorade is like, or something or a liquid IV or anything you can do to make you want to drink some kind of liquid. I mean, literally you could drink Coca-Cola, anything would help over nothing. Um, But you know, it's, it's hard to take care of yourself out there. uh, And, you, it's something that I know that Eddie would do in a longer race. You can kind of get away with it in the connect 200s. It's such a short um, a span of time, but you know, if you, if he had a couple more days left of this race, that would have become a serious issue for him. So um, yeah, wait, where are you going? I'm, I was back there. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So Josiah with the red lantern, that was his first, he was a Dallas CV team. That was his first finish of a, a Diderot qualifier and sounded like his team did really well. And, and they were planning on taking it nice and slow. And um, I don't know, you know, it's hard to say the exact list, but you know, I was, I saw uh, Isaac Tiford finish uh, shortly before uh, maybe a few hours before him and AB Weemark, they were really close. Those are two of my best friends. So it was cool to see. Uh, it's cool to see them finish. And again, they, they've, they've, those guys in the back of the pack, it's not like something went wrong and they had to take it easy. Like that was the plan. They had like these dogs that were either, you know, I know Isaac had two year old team. So there were some inexperience there. And, you know, maybe Ibby's team had some young dogs, but also maybe they hadn't had as many miles. And so it's just about getting a, you know, a positive 200 mile trip under their belt. Um, oh, sick. There was a, that was a sweet page there. The yellow, the yellow, yellow. Oh, yeah. well, that's the copper basin. Oh, that's a copper. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I pulled this one up cause it's, I feel like it's a little bit easier to see the actual finishing times, but it's funny because I'm looking at, this is track leaders. Um, and it actually gave Brent uh a fast yeah the tracking the tracking situation for this race it's not the race's fault but for whatever reason there was a lot of it was you know it wasn't pinging as often and it was really hard to tell who was in front who wasn't but anyways there's 
there's a lot of names to go through and I don't have like a ton of time. Um, but we'll kind of fast forward, you know, to the, I guess the front of the race and, and, you know, uh, I think, um, obviously the biggest story was Emily Robinson, 16 years old, be- beating the last two Iditarod champions. Uh, she was behind for 199 miles and she passed Brent, uh, one mile from the finish line with an amazing video that, uh, you know, if we should share if we, if, but it's, it's such a cool video where, you know, they're just before the finish line, Brent's in the lead. And then, you know, he's looking over his shoulder and Emily's just hauling ass coming up onto him. And Brent's like, son of a bitch is she, you know, he just knows that there's nothing, nothing he can do is her team's faster. He's running at, you know, he wishes that the race was one mile shorter or else he would have won. Um, but it's a ton of respect to Emily Robinson, her brother and dad. And it's been a family affair, them training the dogs together and uh, just a, an insanely fast and well-conditioned, well-trained team. Here's Brennan with the video. Let's check it out if you're on YouTube. Uh, if you're not, well, I'll tell you, <laughs> I can do a play-by-play. But here comes Brent through the woods. There's a couple different like lakes right before the finish line. And on those lakes, it's, it's that's when it's kind of easiest to pass. I think you kind of are technically in no man's land where you don't have to actually yield to the team that's passing you. You know, as you do for the rest of the race, if they call trail, you just kind of have to stop your team. So he, yeah, Brent's, you know, he's ski pulling, uh, trying to get his team an extra half a mile an hour, a mile an hour faster by helping him out. He's running up the hill, and then you can see Emily coming in behind. You know, she's also pedaling, but she's also just kind of calling up her team. And you can see Brent's dogs are kind of more in travel mode. And then you see Emily coming, and they're freaking, like, fully loping, like, pulling oh. and running as fast as they possibly can. I mean, you can just I see the difference it. in speed. So... <laughs> I yeah, love her, it, man. she's got a really fast team, you know, and it's pretty impressive. I think, I think, uh, you know, I was talking to my buddy Alex and he was like, you know, Dave, Dave Turner is a, is a mid distance specialist. Uh, he's never run the thousand mile Iditarod. Sure. He's run some three hundreds. Um, <clears throat> but you know, just because Emily has been, specializing in 60 mile race or the 150 junior I did or out or the hundred mile willow or the hundred mile, you know, connect or whatever doesn't necessarily mean that that's, Oh, that's why she did so well. I mean, look at Dave Turner, he is specializing in these shorter distances too. And he ended up scratching for uh, one reason or another. Right. So it's not, just about the fact that she's specialized in shorter distances. You know, uh, this is her first ever mid distance. Uh, I mean, 200, I guess 150 is a mid distance, but this is kind of, there's a big difference between 150 and 200, you know, uh, and she just, I mean, deserves all the credit, uh, you know, as well as of course her, family and her support system. Everybody's got a support system though. Every single musher's got a system of help with it, whether it's in the training or financially or just with someone to talk to. And she has that too. And I think uh, like, 
it just doesn't need to be downplayed how big of a deal this is uh, to win this race. Um, you know, it's it's kind of cool. It's just to come up on this scene like this and just be like, yo, what up? I'm here. You know, people spend 10 years trying to get this amount of success and she's done it in two, you know, or she's probably done it. She's probably been mushing her whole life. It's been some, but now she's just, people are hearing about it. So, well, and like one thing I wanted to say is like, she in some ways is kind of rewriting some of the rules with these races, right? Cause uh, you know, like usually there's an age requirement, but she's clearly skilled enough to kind of like bypass the, the age requirement. And yeah. I just think like she, she I think she's won the junior. I did her at twice. I want to say three times. Potentially. And so my question is like, well, at what point are, are is the Iditarod going to be like, all right, you can have your run at the Iditarod? I mean, 18. I mean, reality is, uh, I think they, the didn't only bend other... that, they didn't bend that for Dallas. Nope. Um, he would turn 18 March second or third. I don't remember, you know, fourth maybe. Uh, but he was, he's the youngest Iditarod finisher just because his birthday was right before. But I think maybe. I don't know. So there, there's some musher coming up whose birthday might be just the right amount to to where they can actually be the new youngest I did a ride finisher, but I'm not sure. But yeah, they had to grant special permission for a junior musher, you know. So they basically had to have already completed some other I did a ride qualifier or uh, just have proven to have aptitude and uh, barely. Emily passed the test to to get in there. She does have some aptitude in the mushing department, it seems. Um, and then, she, yeah, so she, you know, I I, I think uh, it's it's just so cool. She this is blowing up. This is huge for uh, the mushing Great scene. The you know, yep. Everybody's uh, it's just spreading around the internet rather quickly. Um, you know, I'm I'm scared to ask Emily to come onto the podcast now because she's probably getting hit up by the New York Times and getting yeah. hit up by ESPN. We're probably bottom of the list. Bottom of the list. Right but there we, at the bottom. We hope to get her on here. I got to hang out with her dad a little bit during the weekend, and he was, you could see he was, you know, there he was in race mode a little bit, you know, um, making sure that she had everything she needed, especially at that halfway point. And, uh, What's what's you know, her dad's name? So much Is it Wally? Walter. Walter? Wally. Yeah, people call him Wally. Yep. Um, I don't know. I was like, I don't know if I should call him Wally. Or You're Walter. not quite on like that I'm level. Not on yet, the Wally Sean. level maybe. You're still a Walter. Yeah. He's still yeah. Walter to you. He, yep. Yeah. It's probably Mr. Robinson. Don't get ahead. Hey, don't better. maybe that's yeah. yeah, don't get ahead of yourself, man. Jeez. Yeah. But uh yeah, that's cool. And I do want to say, like, that's funny, you know, because the headline is <laughs> 16 year old girl beats I did a ride champions, you know, but also like to Brent and Ryan Reddington, second and third place. You know, every time these guys enter a race, that's always the headline, you know, unless they win it. So it's like, it's cool that they are there anyways. You know, Brent could have just kept running his 200 mile series or 300 mile series in Eureka in the middle of nowhere, which by the way, I saw he's out of the Copper Basin. So he, you know, this, this is a tough race. This was a really hard race. Uh, I think that's the consensus from all of these guys that were out there. It was not just a last year was a really hard trail and fast trail. This year is just really, 
slow, tough going miles. You saw five and a half, six miles an hour by the top teams at certain sections of the trail. So it was a really tough race. And I think there's potential some teams might need a few extra days to kind of of, of rest and recovery. Um, but it didn't look like Emily's team <laughs> needed, a, needed a couple of days. Those, those guys were all lunging, barking, wagging their tails at the finish line. And, uh, but yeah, you know, anytime you're an Iditarod champion and you enter into a race, you know, you're, you got the target on your back. You're going to, it's going to be that headline of fill in the blank beats Iditarod champion, but we're glad that you're still out there, Ryan and, and Brent, you know, trying to, uh, trying to win these things, you know, and keep these races competitive. Um, so yeah, you know, Brent, of course he was, he's super stoked that he's like, you know what, dude, I'm so glad that if someone was going to pass me, that it was Emily, you know, he had a really cool attitude about things. Ryan came in afterwards and he, I, it was funny. And I didn't realize how close everything was. I knew it was kind of close, but he was literally like looking over his shoulder and you could just see as he came into the Knick Lake and he knew the moment he knew he's like, all right, there's like, I got third. Like he was just like, <laughs> You know, because yeah, he, he looked he, over he his shoulder working. a bunch coming coming into the uh finish line. I thought that was yeah. interesting. He kept on Dude. saying all weekend about how he's got oh, this isn't really my my A team. And he's like, All right, yeah, uh, sure. I don't and know. He had, dude. I did a ride champion dogs on his team that won literally <laughs> like nine months ago. But you know, maybe he's playing with us or maybe He's, He's not playing it. He didn't have a full Iditarod roster, sure. right? So he had a couple. You got to take some, some of the youngins, dogs. you know, yeah, like. For sure. He wasn't fully, like, not saying, like, the complete truth, but he wasn't, you know, it's it's, it's fair. I would do yeah. that, too. Like, I'm ah, sure man, this, some... is, this isn't the A squad, man. Yeah, I think Red Lantern this year, probably, and then third <laughs> place. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then the really probably – almost as cool of a finish as Emily beating Brent there in the last second was Amanda Otto coming in fourth place. Uh, and Travis Beals, he, I think he left the halfway point in 10th place and he was just knocking teams down. Uh, and those hunt the last, the last half of the race, just passing one team after another, after another, I don't know how he does it. You know, he, he, uh, just had such a, a fast team there at the end. So, you know, something to keep in mind, even though Amanda beat Travis is Travis passed six or four, four or five teams uh, there. And uh, he had finished really, really strong and he was busting his ass. Uh, and then Amanda, she also, you know, I, when I watched her leave Eagle quest with Eddie, she was in front of Eddie by five seconds. And then Eddie passed her shortly thereafter. And I was like, all right, I guess Eddie's kind of, gonna not see amanda again and then you know amanda made she kind of took it easy she knew she, she's got 45 50 miles left from eagle quest so let's not like make this push let's not call them up yet you know and it's not like eddie called them up right then either but she you could tell she kind of took it slow took took it didn't ask a lot of the dogs went the speed that they were gonna go no matter what and then they, she got there, I don't know, at what mile, must have been maybe 5, 10, 15 miles from the finish line. And she started, all right, let's 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 race these guys. And this was like a big deal for her. She's worked with these dogs for four years. You know, some of these dogs, this was kind of their first time being, trying to ask to be competitive and kind of race with them at the end. And 
you know, and they've responded really well to it. And, uh, you know, I think Travis, Travis, I, I, I was, I spent some time chatting with Travis afterwards. He was just like, God, she's like in such good shape, Amanda, you know, he, he, I don't think Travis is out running, She's you know, she, running. He couldn't weigh that much either, too, man. She's a tiny girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's she's a total athlete, and uh, she, they were both. We they were on, both. She's a former soccer out. player. Yeah. Yep. She's, so. She played college soccer, but I mean, I'm, no, no. You know, played college soccer five years, six years ago. Doesn't yeah, but shit. like soccer, <clears throat> st- soccer stamina is different. It like, is, but you know, at the same time, dude, you could just not do anything for six years. It would be in terrible shape. She so has not been doing anything for she's six. She's been years, doing so. something. That's the thing. Yeah. So she's. But let me shape. let me just let me just bring this up real quick. So again, I was talking to Eddie, kind of talking about his perspective. So you were just saying like she left um, with the 150 might. What what what's the checkpoint? Uh, 150 Eagle Quest. Eagle Quest. So she left Eagle Quest and she was in front. And then you said Eddie got back in front of her and you kind of thought, all right, Eddie maybe has it in the bag. So Eddie was saying like when he passed Amanda, I guess like I think her dogs were maybe a little bit bummed out because uh, she had to drop some dogs or something and maybe they weren't reacting well or something. And uh, he was saying that like when he passed her that like it looked like there was some struggling going on or like just the dogs weren't reacting well, whatever. So like he goes on by and like, you know, he was looking over his shoulder for a considerable amount of time. And then I guess uh, he was like, all right, I, I haven't seen anyone for a little while. And kind of like, you know, he, he kind of was like, just kind of coasting in, felt like he was in a good spot where he wasn't probably going to get to Ryan. And then he says like out of nowhere, Amanda and Travis just come like, right behind him and just like go right behind him and or right by him and i just thought like he was saying like his dogs were kind of like at a travel pace at that point whereas like travis and amanda are in this like back and forth race with each other he's like i didn't stand a chance i just watched them go right by (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, you know his dogs uh like like we talked about before the race are his travis uh, or his you know, eddie's uh eddie's dogs you know they've this is their first time kind of competing as a team and there's probably some extra excitement from the dogs dude his dogs at the start line were fucking terrifying they were so like i tried to like help them get to the start line and i almost got like ran over you know they, they were just like totally like next level stoked which is a cool thing but also, you know, then you see the team at the end of the race and, you know, he's he's not calling them up, not because they're they were like you said, they're in travel mode. It's like he knew I can, I'm not going to ask this of them right now. This is not the time, you know, and, you know, and and uh, and respect, you know, for that decision. And and then, um, yeah, Travis, you know. He and, and Amanda were both red in the face. They finished five seconds from each other. And uh, it was a really cool finish to see. And, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> a lot of great races put together and a really fun weekend. And I'm glad I got to be a part of it. And I'm going to always be interested in the Connect 200 moving forward after this weekend. It was really a special uh, couple of days. Some, so, yeah, so I went ahead and... Uh pulled up the the list for the copper basin 300 
Um, again, we're kind of up against the clock. So, uh, Sean, good work with being there at the Knick and providing that kind of further details and analysis. Um, uh, hopefully, I don't know where else you're getting that from. So hopefully you guys yeah, that are KLTC listening live, we do, we, we got, I'll shout out him dude, because I try, he's the best at live coverage of these races. We hope he's going to be a copper basin. I know that only at the start line and the finish line, can you actually really get a good signal? Um, but you know, he's really, I think the kind of positivity that we need in mushing and, uh, providing some really awesome awesome content so if you haven't found him shout already, out. big shout him. out i loved yeah. the drone coverage i love yep. the interviews at the at the uh at the finish line um i love that i just i i personally again i'm not big into the mushing world obviously but like i've never heard of him until this weekend i think i saw one video from him prior to this weekend. Uh, so I didn't know much about him, but I, I love the work he's doing. And I love, like, I went back and watched one of his videos. He started interviewing you. I thought that was kind of fun. Like, mushing, mushing Alaska expert Sean Underwood here with some cr crucial analysis. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, crucial, dude. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, right, so let's, let's do a little quick preview of the Copper Basin. And uh, yeah, where's your head at here? Um, so yes. Sydney Ball, I think she's running Vern Halter's dogs. Uh, Mike Parker, you know, he had the terrible uh, incident there on the, the Denali Highway, and he's kept it going in honor of those dogs. I, I know they're with him in his heart um, as he starts this 300-mile journey tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm not sure on Justin Owens. I don't know who that is, but I'm going to – that's my alarm to wrap shit up. Um, the uh, – Jonah Bacon with uh, Deke Nactonborn. It's going to be fun to see, to meet him. Uh, Sean Williams, you know, he's running uh, his third third uh, rookie Iditarod this year. Uh, I don't know Tony Angelo, but I'm going to find out this weekend. Matt Pavelio, I'm handling for him. He's run the Copper Basin, I think, already twice. Uh, he's finished eighth before. I think he's got a kind of an uh, – uh, like his team is probably not a competitive team this year. Um, Nick Petit, you know, he's always a threat in these mid distance races, but kind of a quieter race for him in the connect 200. I think he finished seventh or ninth maybe. Um, so, you know, maybe not some as in years prior, he's not such a lock to fit to win this race as he might've been two years ago. Um, El call Matt's, uh, now wife. Uh, is running a puppy team for Matt Hall. Jesse Holmes is a favorite for this race. Um, uh, Matt, or uh, let's see, I, I know who Josie Thur is, but I just can't place. place well, that. she's running her rookie. I did rod this year. Okay, right on. So uh, I know that name from from that, but I don't know her otherwise in terms of her uh, resume, mushroom uh, wise. I think Brent Sass withdrew. Is what I think I saw. Yeah. Um, Christy Barrington, her, her sister Anna, ran the Knick 200, had a good race uh, this year. I think they're bringing maybe a different group of dogs and maybe a couple maybe that ran the Knick. Lyra, she was in the Knick 200 last. Uh, Lara, sorry, uh, was in the Knick 200, did well. She's uh, kind of gone from 
just learning how to mush a couple of years ago to being a total uh, established musher now. She's gotten a lot of really tough experiences under her belt. Um, not sure on Mike Dolinar, but I'll figure it out this weekend. Sadie Lindquist is co-worker of Lara. She's running Miss Sheevy's dogs too, so they both are. Calvin Doherty, guess whose dogs? Miss Sheevy's dogs. Um, so that's three Miss Sheevy teams. Dallas Sheevy, the rookie. Uh, I don't know if he's uh, he's a rookie, so you know he probably won't do that well. Just kidding, he might win this thing. Um, Trevin Hunter, I don't know who that is yet. Samantha Lalonde, I believe, is Sam. I I uh, I that's uh, Dallas's right hand woman for uh, training this year. She's been helping Dallas uh, get his A team ready for Iditarod, and I'm sure she has some of those A team docs on her team, and will probably not be running as competitive of a race. I'm um, not sure on Annette, and then Paige and Cody from Squid Acres, those guys. Uh, I'm super excited. I'm to see them out there. Uh, good. They're good friends of mine and, uh, they are probably one, one or both of those teams could be a top five, maybe even a dark horse to win it. Um, and I don't know, Joey, uh, Matt Hall, I think is a favorite. Uh, yep. he's been quietly training out in, uh, Eastern Alaska and Eagle and some really tough, cold country. Um, with he's, he's my pick trails. by the way i'm I'm putting it out there he's my pick uh jacob Whitcop, i think is a dark horse top five guy uh potentially but i'm not sure what his goals are for this race it could just be to take it conservatively and um and get to that i did a right start line with a strong healthy team i don't know kills kelsey winters but i hope to find out more uh misha wilges she's run this race a handful of times three plus times she's run the Iditarod a couple times she's never been uh one to be in the limelight you're not going to see interviews with Misha around the internet very often she probably doesn't have a website or a kennel page she just quietly likes to go mushing uh you know she's not she's not there for fame she's just there to be out quietly outside with her best friends the dogs out sharing the trail with them and going on an adventure and that's something that uh is super admirable, I think. Um, and of course, Ryan Reddington. I don't. I don't wonder when he last ran this race. Uh, I'm gonna ask him. But he, uh, cool to see him out there doing the copper and doing all these events. Um, Daniel, I haven't met yet. Loro, of course, we had him on. Yeah, out to Loro. Uh, seems like Big his training. Right there. You know, I think he's uh, potentially. You know, I think he's. It sounds like he's got a really strong pool of dogs. So I'm excited to see what he's doing and what his goals are. He's, he's generally been a back of the pack kind of musher, but he's also really never fully uh, trained his team for racing until this winter. It seems he's probably, ha he certainly has in years past, but it seems like, you know, that's the one and only thing on uh, his, you know, list to do this winter is get this, these guys race ready. And so um, I think he has a team that is, and then Brenda Mackey's got a super fast team. She could be a top 10 potential. She's already shown that she can go, you know, toe to toe with the best mid distance mushing teams. So uh, really super competitive race, 18 hours of mandatory rest, five checkpoints, 300 miles considered to be the toughest 300 miles in Alaska forecast. Looks like it's going to be between single digits, positive to single digits, negative, which is honestly like the best forecast you could ever help for. There's probably going to be some, 
colder and warmer places out on the trail where it might be minus 20 or it might be 20 above, but you know, that's musher friendly, dog friendly temperatures. Uh, don't have to deal with 40 below. don't have to deal with 40 above. So that makes for, uh, uh, what will hopefully be a, a really exciting weekend full of sled dogs and people. Good work, sir. That's great. A uh, little preview of the race. Um, so I was going to say, last thing we got to do here is a little preview uh, of our next guest, which is Isaac Tiford. Shout out to, I think he's the second guest to have a repeat, uh, to come back on a second time. Uh, so uh, we we love to have him on and um, man, it was good to talk to him. You know, we talked to him not too long after, after the incident happened. Um, on the Denali highway. And, uh, you know, I kind of feel like we tiptoed around that for a little bit, but eventually we talk about it towards the end. And uh, I think it was good to, to talk about it. And I think you all as listeners will enjoy hearing his perspective and, you know, uh, it's tough to go through any sort of accident like that. And, um, you know, so I think that like, at first I was like, man, Sean and I were recording it. I'm like, I don't know if, I don't know if this is a good one right now. And then like, I went back and listened to it again. I'm like, it's listen, it's a good, great listen. It's wonderful. So, um, got a lot of love for Isaac. He's a great guy. And, uh, obviously the relationship that you have with him and the friendship that you have with him is, is also, you know, something to be spoke of as well, but any, any, uh, anything that you want to say about this? Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes, Isaac's a super outgoing guy, really quick to crack a, you know, mid tier to, you know, average joke. He does a lot of average jokes. Sometimes he makes me cackle though. Sometimes he's really, Oh, okay. But so no, he's, he's, he's good at like the dad jokes, like dad jokes for sure. Yeah. The dad joke yeah. kind of guy, but he's, he's a, he's got a great sense of humor, but uh, you know, I also life is hard sometimes. And, uh, training you know sometimes you're just a little melancholy and that you know sometimes we kind of had like a nice quiet energy to the beginning of the podcast and it maybe picked up a little bit midway through um but you know always always good having a conversation with with chief teeth as we call him chief teeth i chief love Thief. it and uh yeah i hope you guys enjoy it and um oh yeah uh Mushing, if I don't know when you're going to release this, Brennan, but maybe today. Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. All right. If fantasy mushing, I started a group. It's called Alaska uh, Mushing Alaska Pod. So if you go to fantasymushing.com and you look up Mushing Alaska Pod, you can start your fantasy team and compete against us. Steve, who knows the mushers better? Yeah. Who's, but we who's, already gave you expert enough. analysis. So it's like kind of like. <laughs> You know, if anyone Dude, that wins, don't let me get listen. lost in fantasy, man. Jeez. Yeah. All right. I had I'm, the number one fantasy football team lost first round. It's all a bunch round. of luck. Every time, dude. That's how it works. All a bunch of luck. But, anyways, no, that's, I love that you set that up. So, um, yeah, you guys go over to that uh, and see if you can get in our group. And uh, we'll definitely have, that would be fun to kind of talk about on our upcoming episodes as well. So, yeah. And if you miss the Copper Basin, like, there's going to be other races that fantasy mushing will involve. Obviously, the Iditarod, but Quest 
um, Cusco, those are going to probably be on there. So uh, look for that this season. All righty. Good work today, Sean. And we hope that you guys enjoy this interview with Isaac. As always, we've got some stuff in store for you for the Iditarod. So make sure that you are liking, following, and subscribing. I would say most importantly, from an Iditarod coverage perspective specifically, make sure you are following us on YouTube. We got something in store for you. You guys enjoy. Did good to see you, brother. Uh, how's how's winter treating you? Well, it's been good. It's coming on fast. We went from getting rained on just a few weeks ago, and now all of a sudden it's like it's go time. Yeah, what's the temp in Talkeetna? It's it was like twenty twenty five below today. Yeah, how do you? Doesn't that how does that feel on the beard? Uh, pr- pretty good, pretty good. Great day for me to run out of fuel in my cabin. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yikes! <laughs> what what froze in your cabin that that shouldn't have? Oh, or nothing did it yet. Stay warm enough. Nothing yet. Luckily, I just picked these beers up, so we're good. Yeah, good if you. God forbid you had a slushy Heineken. <laughs> you don't think I have that Heineken money? I'm drinking them Rolling Rocks. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Right, oh, Heineken no. is that's too high class, dude. This episode brought to you by Rolling Rock. Rolling Rocks is one of the cheapest beers you can get up here. When you can't rock, you roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh, nice man. man. Um well man, li- listen, it's good to have you back on. All right. Round two, you know, last time Sean was uh embarking on this uh epic journey going down the uh Amazon or something like that. No, well you were doing uh in Arizona, uh, Grand Canyon. I, I just was gonna let you keep going. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. The Colorado River. It's uh, slightly farther than. It's not quite the Amazon. Different continent, but I mean, it's technically the same continent, right? It's all the Americas. Uh, but yeah, that that was like so bummed. I was like, I like suggested. I was like, oh yeah, dude, you should talk to Isaac while I'm gone. And then I was like, wait, what the fuck? Why would you talk to Isaac without me, dude? Yeah, uh, I mean, we had a really good time, so it's going to be hard to top that. <laughs> I don't know, man. The three of us together should be a good, it should make for a good listen. So, uh, yeah, but oh, we're, uh, we're killing it right now, dude. It's crazy how much we're flowing. Nice, nice. There it is, Sean. That's <laughs> it. Bringing the good vibes. That's it, baby. <sighs> So yeah, man. Uh, we're you know getting into the season, and uh, h- how are how are things shaping up for you and your squad, man? Oh, they're pretty good, pretty good. The group of dogs that I'm working with is really, really impressing me for being being some young dogs. So it's just you know this is their first real season of getting after it. So we're just uh, also some of the biggest dogs I've ever worked with. I've got a dog on my team that's over 80 pounds. Never, that? never, never had dogs. Uh, Berg. Berg. You know Berg. I don't think Berg. I do. Like iceberg. Oh, Berg. No. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's just, it's, it's wild to see how strong these big dogs are, but 
they do take a little bit longer to, to develop. So it's, it's uh, I mean, at this point in the season, I'm really happy with how they've been doing. So it's good. Yeah, the big dog thing is like, it's you don't want to. It's hard to have a whole team of big dogs, you know. Like if you let's say like you could roll the that you could just pick what size dog you have. You'd like, you know, maybe eighty pound dogs not to play, but dude, they fucking they're strong, and yeah, but they do they they got to eat a lot more calories and like you know a lot a little bit more weight is hitting on the joints with each step, you know. So there's like I feel like there's a smaller margin for error like it's easier for that for something to be kind of off uh equilibrium with those bigger dogs but on the on the flip side the nice thing about them is they are very smooth travelers which is nice so even though they're big dogs they're not they're not pounding the pavement too hard and it's a nice feeling to have dogs pulling you up the mountain that that are they're i mean they're strong like that one dog burger i'm telling you about he pulls like a malamute it's crazy awesome. to see, but no, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's another That's... level of learning how to develop dogs as a musher, though. Yeah, how old is Berg? Two? He's two. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah and you, your whole squad is mostly youngins, two- and three-year-olds? Uh, so right now I've got 12 two-year-olds that I'm working with uh, primarily, and then from there the rest of my team is going to get filled out with – some veterans and some experienced dogs and some older boys, the ones that nice. probably don't make the A team, but yeah, the know. ones that don't make Dallas's team are still going to be pretty high caliber dogs. And in let alone your two year olds, I'm sure aren't, you know, they're, they're still pretty badass dogs that, you yeah. know, they've made, we just you haven't quite seen what they can do in a thousand mile setting. And, but you have seen what they can do in some, pretty decent distance um i'm right i mean they've they've you guys have done some trips on the highway they've probably raced a little so bit they, or these dogs haven't done anything um longer than the ace race as far as races go so nice. but we were at the ace race and we did that we did that with them last year as well as yearlings in the springtime right uh but we're we're signed up for the connect 200 with those guys so we're gonna go nice dude that's gonna be rowdy yeah Hoping it's not as as windy as last time. Oh my god! Yeah, last time Brennan did your Isaac's Connect Two Hundred experience. Y'all, you'll have to remind me. Well, there, uh, just, to was... pre- just to preface it, like there was a like in the valley, like Wasilla Palmer Valley, there was like hundred mile an hour winds, like on the road, you know. And like, I think, you, you know, I, it was like a big deal for like, not just for mushing, like for uh, like people in the area that were just like living in their normal homes, like things oh, yeah. were flying oh, yeah. through the air. After the race, I literally saw the the front of the A&W outside of Fred Myers get ripped off. There were like car hoods <laughs> flying across the road and outhouses like tumbling, like tumbleweeds across lakes. Jesus. It was it was it was pretty rowdy. So yeah, it was super windy. I uh, got the red lantern in that race. Just to get to the race, we had to bring two chainsaws, and we were cutting trees down that had fallen across our road to get out from the kennel. And it was, and then just a ton of overflow and crazy wind. And learned a lot. Learned a lot in that race, but damn, yeah. The the uh, a lot of those trees, Brendan, are like killed. Uh, but they're still standing from the Beatles 
that uh, kind of wiped out a lot of this adult spruce trees in uh, southern interior Alaska. And and uh, so they're just kind of like every year they like get weaker and weaker. And, right. you know, then you have a big wind event and they just like literally by the dozens and in just a few minutes, you know, are falling across all over the, I mean, there's millions of trees, right? So they're just, a lot of them are dead and they were all kind of fell the same day, pretty much. I learned I my lesson to check and make sure my, my ax is sharpened before I go out on the trail. Cause I had to cut through a lot of trees with a dull ax and I actually didn't even make it to the finish line. I still finished technically, but I made it a couple miles from the finish line and there were so many trees down across the trail. I started cutting through one and looked up with my headlamp. It, it was like super early in the morning and could just see tree after tree after tree. And they were falling down around us. It was actually not a great, a great feeling. Cause you're just like thinking a tree, like a widow maker could just fall on your team at any time. So I remember calling, I actually called um, either the race marshal or one of the race judges. And they were like, yeah, the governor of Alaska just issued a hunker down warning. Like we need to get you off the trail. So I was the last team on the trail. They're like, are you in a safe place to turn around? And they gave me directions to go down some road. And I'm like, there's no snow on that road. It's just gravel. And they're like, we'll be at the end waiting for you to catch your team. And so I'm just, I just turned down this road and started going down this road, just getting pulled. My dogs were just pulling me down. There's no snow. And then I just see headlamps and a couple of handlers from the kennel were there waiting, waiting for me. And they all grabbed the sled and just boom, just like a pit crew in the NASCAR just started pulling dogs, putting them back in the truck. And it was, it was a wild I experience. you going down the, the gravel road just <laughs> the, the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah, dude, like the sound of the trees too is, is ominous, you know, the sound of the wind too. But like, I remember just being even in like 30 mile an hour winds. 25 mile an hour winds and you're like traveling down the trail in Talkeetna and you can just hear all the creaking from all the trees around you. And it's, it's pretty spooky. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember so you were kind of, when I was visiting, I remember you guys were kind of like telling me about that. And like, it's like, there's just like a bunch of trees just standing, but they're all like barren and they're all just essentially just waiting to fall. Right. Yeah. Or waiting to be cut up into firewood. They're great firewood. There's, and you know, I think mother nature is going to recover, but it just takes, takes some time. And, and yeah, it's great to have like all these trees that you can just cut down and immediately throw in your wood stove. Uh, yeah. Cause typically you got to cut the tree down and then wait at least a year for it to kind of dry out all that wood and then be, you know, not wet wood, wet wood. <clears throat> I love chopping wood. I don't know about you guys. Chop, chop, chop. Yeah, so it'll it, it'll be fun. I'm really I'm really excited to see see how those guys do in a race because I was thinking about it and I ended up talking to Dallas a little bit about it, but I was like, these guys haven't haven't really done much of a race, like you know, as far as going in and out of checkpoints and doing that kind of stuff. And so we were talking about a few different races, but this one seemed to make the most sense because we've already got three teams in the copper. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting, like seeing those guys um develop like really i mean during the connect they're gonna like have one idea of what a race is and they're in a in their dog in the dog's mind they're gonna be like oh so it's just like two runs that are really long and really fast and then the next race is that good rod 
then the next race is Iditarai and you're training these dogs, you know, probably partially for the connect, but you know, you're taking them on these trips that kind of mimic an Iditarai schedule, you know, at least that's, you know, I'm, what I'm assuming is still going on at Dallas CV kennel. And yeah. um, so they're going to be, you know, kind of ready for that schedule, but yeah, you know, you're going to see them start off the race, you know, not, they don't know, you know, you can't be like, Hey, just heads up Berg. It's going to be a thousand miles this time. He's like, I don't know. You know, they don't know that, you know? So like you, you're going to see them get to mile 300 and be like, so like, what's, what's going Are we like, this is the part where the whole crew pit crew comes and, and, and takes us home. It's like, no, we're, you know, we're going to go a little bit farther. So you get to see like their mental development on the trail. And so that's going to be, it's, it's a cool, you know, experience. I've done it with a couple of young dogs, but not, you know, not, you're going to, you're going to have, what I assume is practically half your team is going to be, you know, that level of inexperience, which is kind of in some ways pretty fun to, you know, see the the dog at the start line and you see them at the finish line and they're just a completely different dog, you know, going from a rookie to a veteran and getting that self-confidence, you know, that these get, that they get, you know, they don't, they kind of have to earn, earn that. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to it. And that's, I mean, that's something I love about mushing is getting to see that transition from when they are just little yearlings, just, just stoke the pole and, and then see them to their first camp and see them like start to figure things out. Like even in this last ace race, seeing a couple of dogs on that team, like really stepped up and we got to the, got back to the truck in Campwell, And I was like, man, just four or five dogs out of that group or, be honest i'm a little scared that dallas is going to want to take him for his team so i'm trying not to talk him up too much but they're really <laughs> yeah i know you're gonna be like yeah they are all just terrible. they're all right the dogs yeah, yeah. Like, it's like yeah but which ones are like doing the best you're like they're all just complete dog water <laughs> <laughs> yeah none of them really like to eat that much and yeah mm-hmm. i don't know i think that might be good indoor dogs yeah, speaking of indoor dogs, how's your little pack of retirees doing? Oh, they're doing good. We got a, I've actually got Stager here with me. Nice. Yukon uh, and Surf, but the last couple of days, Surf, Surf has decided that he just wants to go back to the kennel. And so I like open up the door and look out because I live a couple miles from the kennel. And I'm like, Surf, where are you at? And then I get a phone call. Hey, Surf is back at the kennel, just scratching at the lodge door. What is he going via the road or via the woods? Uh, the last two times the road. So he huh. just like, I get a phone call from someone. They're like, "Hey, your dog just passed me. I'm out driving home. He's just <laughs> just doing his like morning thing. He's like, all right, yeah, well, I'm off. I'm just gonna go on my morning jog. Yeah. And so I don't know. they're doing good. That's awesome. And stay. So is surf. And Stager's race resumes, you know, notable, you could say. And now they're just your couch, couch dogs, kind of. Yeah, right? I think between the two of them, I think they've got six Iditarod championships. Six and wins. That, that's crazy. Yeah. A lot of greatness sitting down by the fire right now. And how old are they? Well, let's see. Surf is uh, 11 and Stager is right around the same age, 11. 11. Nice. And he's still doing his solo two mile jog to back back to the he's like, I gotta get ready for I did around 2024. 
You know what's funny is I don't I don't even worry about him. I'm like he's a smart dog. He's an incredible leader. Like he he re- he remembers the trail. He knows he knows how to get home. Yeah, he knows his neighborhood. Yeah, but no, he's he's looking very content sitting by the wood stove right now. So, dude, how's the uh, rookie meeting? It was good. Yeah. It was long. It was long. I don't I don't sit inside in like a classroom type setting very much anymore, and especially in the warmth. And it was it it was tough to stay awake because I was obviously just coming off and doing a bunch of stuff, and we were doing a an event down in Anchorage where we took down at the Native Head Start Center. We took like three hundred kids mushing in the span of a couple hours, just downtown Anchorage. And so I was all, I was just trying to stay awake. That was the hardest part, but it was a lot of really good information. And it was cool to get to see the different, different people come up and talk. Like the, I did about air force and you know, obviously the vets and so it was good. It was a lot to take in. Yeah. Uh, so some like b- behind the scenes, uh, I was the other day I was, uh, you know, we had Connor on and, you know, we interviewed him and then, you know, usually it's like two weeks or so before the the episode comes out. And, uh, you know, I got in touch with him before I released the episode and he's like, man, I had such a good time. That was the first time I had talked to people in like two weeks. And, uh, so I was thinking about him the other day and I was like, I'm just going to get, I'm going to just check in and see how he's doing. And, and I was like, man, uh, Sean was in town for the rookie meeting. And like we they had talked about maybe trying to grab a beer while they were in Anchorage or whatever. And uh, so I was just like kind of catching up. I was like, yeah, so uh, how was your time at the rookie meeting? And he's like, man, I uh, I broke out with Isaac and Loro. And so I like came back to Sean and was just kind of telling him about that. And he's like, man, we got to have Isaac on. I'm I'm upset that you got to interview him alone. So that's kind of how we we got to this right here right now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah. We had a really good time. Yeah yeah. We uh, drank a couple beers and talked dogs until the wee hours of the morning. It was it was a great time. That sounds about right, dude. I feel bad because uh, Daisha, y- y'all's uh, manager there at, at the kennel, has hit me up like seventeen maybe 18 times in the last two years like hey could you help us out this like quick event that takes like two hours there's 300 kids we're gonna take them on dog sled rides and i'm always like i'm not firstly i'm not a busy guy like i don't have a ton of stuff going on all the time but every time she and she'll hit me up with like three months notice and i'll be like nah it's that one week i'm going to atlanta or oh yeah I'm, i'm going you know she said can you be the contact for the uh you know the drop dogs in anchorage and or whatever and i'm like no nah, i'm gonna not be out of town i'll be on a trail and so i uh <clears throat> i feel bad because i want to help i want to be part of the you know the good old the good old team once in a while and every time that you guys come knocking i'm just like conveniently can't do it and it and it can get confused for like a lack of desire to want to do it like i want to be there you know but I just keep on being shitty timing, whatever. Yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. You'll find your way back to the kennel in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. No, I, I usually make an annual visit. It's usually usually how we do post post I did a ride seems to be the best time. Yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah. It would be good. It would be great for you to come up. 
Yeah, I do need to make make my way up there, dude, for sure. Manigans, run some dogs, and yeah, need the old Sean Underwood touch. Need you to come up and teach me what you know about training two year olds. Dude, you're officially, I've, you know, I guess I've been on the Iditarod Trail, but you know, you're our. You always is like, oh yeah, you know, Sean, you know, what, what looking me for advice or something. I'm like, dude, you're already like experience like at least as much shit as i have if not more doing this for five years and, and uh you got some crazy things go down over the years and connect 200 being the least of them and uh so yeah now you're like the veteran dude and now i'm looking to you like how did which way does the harness go on i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yeah, so uh one one thing that uh Sean and I were kind of talking about is uh this rookie class is uh it's 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 got some some fun names in that. It's got some uh some 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 folks that have run it before but haven't been able to get across the finish line. Um you know, was there any rookies that you got to meet at the meeting that you hadn't, you know, met before or anything like that? Uh, yeah, a couple of them. And I, I guess the only one I really, really talked to, um, we didn't have a ton of time to talk, you know, we'd have like five minute break here and there, but, uh, I got to know Connor pretty well, um, that, the night before the meeting. So we, we hung out quite a bit and it was, yeah, it's, I am excited to meet the rest of them and really get to spend some time with them. And, um, hopefully we have some more opportunities before the race starts. I know we have a few more meetings and, and what have you, but yeah. I really didn't get a chance to talk to too many of them, but it's a it's a big rookie field this year. I don't know how many exactly, but it's like what twelve or fifteen. They yeah, like one, a, yeah, like a third of the race. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I want to say thirteen or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's I'm, I'm just excited. There's a lot of new faces, and uh, I think that's great for the sport. And um, you know, one thing that I'm curious about with you is like. In terms of the Iditarod, is this something that for you, you're you're kind of like it's a bucket list item and, you know, you have this opportunity where you're working with Dallas and you've been able to um, qualify for that Iditarod and so you're going to do you're going to run it and and then from there, is there like, is there the intention to continue to run dogs or like what is what's the goal um, long term after that? Funnel vision, baby. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm thinking about pursuing a a career at Burger King after this. To be honest, mm. just kidding. No, uh, <laughs> I do, although, although I do like a good burger, but no, I, uh, in all honesty, I, I do I do plan on running dogs for sure. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know what the year after this will look like or the year after, but um, there have been talks thrown around of me potentially being able to run a competitive race team in the Iditarod in the next year or two after this year. And then there's also been talk of um, going over to Norway. I know, um, and doing some more racing over in Norway for a whole winter potentially. So that's the kind of, kind of, kind of stuff that'll, that's going to keep me around. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get into the competitive aspect of it. And I also, I did a lot of side when I experienced mushing in other places as well. And being at a kennel like Dallas is, I think it's the only place that I think I could make that work. 
you know? And so, yeah, I think it'd be great to get a chance to run, run the A team at some point in the Iditarod and then maybe even go, go over and do some racing in Norway. And, yeah. Norway yeah. sounds badass, dude. I, I got to go back to the homeland. Cause that's where my family's from. Right. Yeah, dude. It's a full circle situation, yeah. dude. Yeah. So I guess the, the only thing keeping us from going over there right now is we got to find a, uh, we think it'd be really nice to find a private jet, someone who's willing to like sponsor us with a jet to fly over there with all the dogs. <laughs> that's that's so the plan A is a private, private jet. <laughs> yeah. So if you have any friends with like a, I don't know, like a private jet just laying around. Oh yeah, dude. Long list of friends with private jets. Long list. That's all. Yeah, dude. I, I would, I would think, I mean, it sounds like what Dallas had shared about Norway and it just seems like a pretty fun scene that's completely you know distinct to the alaska scene and and i mean it is mushing and it's this you know you know there's alaskan huskies there too and stuff and but yeah just uh you know it seems seems like it's a, it's a smaller like you're mushing through like villages and towns that are you know on the road system and maybe a little bit more like engagement with the community whereas like i did it's like super super remote and you're like one track mind out there. And, and, uh, I don't know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see, see the Norway mushing scene and, and it'd be cool for the coveted, what is the, uh, the first person ever to win the Iditarod, the Yukon quest and the Finnmark slope. It it's never happened. And, yeah. uh, Dallas is, that's what's driving him to go back, I think. And, you know, even if he doesn't win the race, it still would be a sick experience. But you know, that's that's I'm sure that's on his mind. It's certainly on mine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. As okay. far as competitive mushing goes, that's the that's the triple crown. Triple crown. There's a couple of triple crowns. There's the other one that there's a lesser, you know, shorter distance one for the. I don't know what they call it, but it's like the Idaho Sled Dog Challenge is like one race and then there's like three races in like the idaho washington i yeah something just i wish i knew what i was talking about sometimes you know (laughs) (laughs) but so so what i'm gathering from that is it sounds like dallas has some sort of uh, intentions to maybe set up a kennel over there and maybe you would be part of that uh um i i don't know if it would be a a permanent thing i think he did like he had talked just briefly about wanting to spend just the whole season over there because traveling with that many dogs overseas is pretty difficult and it, it would just be nice to get over there and actually train where you're going to be racing for a few months and then while you're over there just do all the races do the femin finmark and just kind of all those races I, I know that i mean i don't speak very good as good in norwegian as isaac does but they all sound the same and that's because I'm ignorant and uneducated, but like Femin, Finnmark Slope, it, and there's <laughs> yeah, like two I other ones actually, and they all kind of, is Slope mean race, uh, race? You know, I don't know. Slope it is at the end of all of them, I think, but okay. I, all right. see, I, I actually, okay. I tried to learn Norwegian. Well, I thought it'd be cool to learn. So I started practicing it and it's, it's not easy to pick up. Hmm. Cause I spent a, a little bit of time over there when I was on that reality TV show. And I was like, I'm going to show up so prepared. I'm going to be speaking, you know, 
fluent Norwegian. You don't just add an O to the end of the word. Nope. Nope. Dago. It's, no. It's much more intense than that. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Talk about your uh your you, dude. You have the most hilarious the the uh reality show. What was it like a race or something or? Yeah, it was. It was called All for Norge, and it which is one of my favorite shows personally. But go, go ahead. What yeah, is well, the uh, what's the English translation there, please? Alt for Norg Norg. <laughs> I actually don't know what it means to be honest. <laughs> Maybe that's why I didn't last on the show that long. Um, but no, it uh, it basically it's kind of like the Amazing Race, where you like you're like running around with backpacks on, doing challenges and stuff like that. And they take twelve Americans from who are uh, of Norwegian descent but have never been to Norway, and you're competing for fifty thousand dollars and a chance to meet your Norwegian relatives that are still living in Norway. Sorry, so we just... all got put over to Norway for the first time. And like they have us making traditional Norwegian cuisine and like riding around on trains looking for f- famous landmarks. And they're like, oh, you need to find this troll that's this tall and is over here. And there's like all these. At one point, everyone had to build a float for like a parade. Huh. Kind of all this the, stuff you did. I'm, I'm just thinking of like what they said. Yeah, like you get a chance to meet your family, but if you don't win this, you just can't, you don't get to meet your family. We'll never meet oh. them. We'll... Well, so I I did end up getting uh, contact info, but I wasn't actually allowed to meet them in person. You're not allowed like to meet festival. another human being? I mean, I can meet them now, but um, what's wild is they actually have to like <laughs> escort you to the airport once you've been eliminated from the show and like watch you board the plane. Because you, you, like, they fly you over there for free, basically. And then when people get off the show, they're like, I'm just going to stay here. And mm. apparently it's a liability. Like, the whole time you're there, you're under their insurance. And so they have to, like, uh, take you to the airport and, like, put you on the plane. Because I thought about it. I was like, I've got nothing going on. I'm just going to backpack around and go find my family. And then Right. That's but, That would have been sick. I, yeah. It gives me a reason to when want to you go got back on the when you got on the plane, were they playing like the like I don't know which elimination music they would play? Would it either be like the James Blunt song from American Idol, like what's that song? I don't know what is it. So, yeah, some something like that. Although, yeah, and then or the Survivor song, you know. No, that's the I intro. Do, no. I do remember the flight back though, uh, enjoying quite a few of the. The very nice Norwegian lip pillows. Snooses. Oh, <laughs> the little upper deckers? The upper deckers. <laughs> the Norwegians do it right over there. Dude, it, that's the... You pop, one, you, you pop one of those in and you're lightheaded for like an hour. It's crazy. I, you know... I, I, it's different than get putting, putting in a skull or a grizz, I would assume. It's a little bit better quality than the American... Uh, what do you call it? Oh, lip. Yeah. Lip. Pillows. <laughs> I love that. Just lip pillows. No, they're 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 it's it's crazy. I mean, compared to what people are using now. But what's wild is it in Norway, if they see someone like smoking a cigarette, they like look down on you so much. But everybody, even like there's like you'll walk into like a restaurant and there's like a group of cute girls and they've all got snooze in. And you're like, what is going on? I can't tell you if I don't think I've ever seen a, 
a woman with a with a lip in or whatever uh with a with chewing tobacco yeah. in my Good life morning. in america and then yeah, you go to Norway and all the smoke shows are all got their, 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 you know, chewing tobacco in. And I'm like, you know, I, I've never been a chewing tobacco guy. I've tried it a number of times because every time I, I try it, I don't like it. I wait two years. And I'm like, well, maybe now I've refined my palate and I can try it again. And then now it still just doesn't. Then it's still no. Still no. Well, Step your game up, bro. Come on now. <laughs> You know, I got my vices. But up, upper an upper decky. I don't know, man. An I've done an upper decky, decky dude. I've done an upper decky once or <laughs> twice, and it is. I'm good on that. The head, the head rush that you're referring to is uh is a real thing. You gotta. Do you want? Are not, you an upper deck or a lower deck kind of guy? Upper, lower right, lower right, right here. Upper deck with the pouches. Lower mm. deck with the loose stuff. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't like Pro move. I don't really, I, I never really dip, but when I was in the Navy, something about being on a, on a boat, it's like a ship out in the middle of nowhere. Something about me, made, like it made me crave chewing tobacco. Yeah. Yeah. That does check out. Yeah. Dude, you've had a crazy adult life. Like, like you done the, no, you did it. You did it. I mean, the highlight for sure is getting eliminated in the first like 12 hours of a reality TV show, but. Okay. Couple days, first couple days couple days okay. no, no. Right. So, so sean uh last time we had isaac on we were talking about this epic trip that you took where you were going to surf next to glaciers or something like that oh yeah i did do that no no no. i'm talking about isaac uh okay isaac too he also did that go ahead wait have you done a trip on the milo uh no i um oh yeah is it out of seward yeah yeah i did and the guy the guy was yeah i didn't know him very well you know just a guy or whatever um because my buddy john levan like i don't know if you know him but he's like was is from seward and he connected that uh to me and my buddy who's super into surfing and he's like really into surfing and brendan knows this about me i've have pretty much surfed maybe twice and I'm terrible at it and it's never been fun one time ever. And, uh, I just get out there and I'm just, you know, even it was fun and it was fun. I did it in Hawaii one time. That was pretty fun. But this time I went out there, I get, we get to the surf spot. Mike is the captain's name. Yeah. Captain Mike. Dude, Mike. All right. He's let's like talk about Mike here old. for a second. He's like, okay, this old. isn't Mike. Then this is a different one. I know of the Milo. I've heard of the Milo. But this guy that I was on, that I, the boat I was on, he was like, he was like in his forties, fifties, maybe. <clears throat> and he, uh, you know, he's quiet and, and he kind of didn't, he wasn't very like upfront with what, how much it was going to cost, which is kind of a little bit frustrating, but we got to the spot and he like, we're all sitting there wearing like jeans and a hoodie and like vibing in the cab of the boat or whatever. And and I'm and I'm like, dude, he had like a it's an hour boat ride or whatever. Like, so he had so much time to say yeah. anything helpful to me at all. And we get there and he's like, all right, well, you know, I thought, he, you know, he had the landing dock. I don't know, like what the underneath of the ocean looks like. I figured like he knows this spot, like he'll know like when to nestle in and give us this super sick dry landing onto the beach where we can keep our jeans on, you know, and then we can change into the wetsuits on the beach 
and then you come back and you land on. No, he gets like 700 yards from the beach. And he's like, all right, buddy, this is where you get out. And I was like, all right, like it's going to take me. I've put a wetsuit on, but like three times, like, I don't know. Like, so I like, I'm like, all right, like you could have told me that maybe like 45 minutes ago. So I'm sitting there putting on my wetsuit. I finally get it all on. And there's this like infamous photo that maybe we can share uh on the on the instagram later but it was uh of me putting on the wetsuit and then it was inside out then i take off the wetsuit you know put it back on anyways it was a total shit show and then i go surfing and of course you know like i don't know how to surf at all and i just basically was just like you know shivering and then he came and picked us up like five hours later and i was just it was like raining and 40 degrees and i was like this is not fun at all but i can tell people i went surfing near a glacier the thing about (laughs) surfing alaska though is because i'm also not good at surfing at all i I was i was stationed in florida for a few years and i never got good at surfing but there's still something to be said about just floating in the water so like when i go surfing like all half the time i just get one of the stand-up paddle boards and get in a dry suit and I'd have like a little Bluetooth speaker and a six pack of beer. And I'd just be paddling around with the Harbor Seals, just having a good time, catching a wave every now and then. But no, I'm not, I'm not that good at, at surfing. The main reason I went on that trip is for the skiing. The surfing mm. was cool. Skiing. Oh, that's right. You were skiing, skiing and you were surfing. That's, that's, you did that in the a, same day, right? Yeah. So it was a, it was actually a trip they had never done before. So they asked me to go along to try and see if we could make it work so there were like some patagonia reps coming out to do this trip to like do i don't know like film something and they wanted to see if it could be done and so we just went out and you know had a little skiff and we'd get up into the mountains go skiing and we'd be roped up on glaciers and then in the afternoon we'd be catching waves it was it was pretty cool step your yeah. game up sean where you yeah the, i do and that one bro did it remind like it's just like the everyday life of Isaac, you know, mine's like not as everyday like that nowadays, but you know, living in the city, but like, you know, even just going out and driving around Anchorage, like pretty sick mountains, you know, and uh, I, and I'm in them once in a while. And uh, it's just like, you know, I would say like the shock factor of like how beautiful Alaska is, you know, it's not there. It's like, I'm not like, I don't like drive, you know, to Wasilla, and I'm just like, oh, look at that beautiful. It's like I am kinda, but I'm not like, you know, getting. Hey, we're gonna be in the first when you first show up here. It's a special thing. Nothing's like your first time doing anything. And uh, no, I just think of like you doing this glacier stuff, and like it's like so badass. And then I like get on social media, and like somebody just went to like, you know some mountainous place for the first time and they show like what I would consider to be, you know, pretty regular mountains. And they're like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, I really do take for granted how sick it is being literally everywhere around me. It's like, it's, it's so special how many mountains and how beautiful it is. And I've realized, you know, if someone were to come up here for the first time, this would blow their mind. And I forget, I've, I'm starting to forget that after eight years of being up here, you know, I don't know. Dude, and you can relate. I, I, I'm going to butt in. Uh, we've done it in some other episodes, too. But like, 
that's the one thing that like I'm always thinking about Alaska is because it's just ridiculous. Like everywhere you go in Alaska, I just remember my head would just being on a complete swivel, just like the you know, there was the one trip that we went where I got there, it was fall, and then I saw all the leaves change, or I guess it was kind of like summer, right? I remember I like we were playing like uh cornhole and I had like a tank on and stuff. Then it got to fall and I saw all the leaves change. And then by the time I left, first snow, all the leaves had fallen. And this was all over like a 12 10 days. Yeah. 12 days or whatever. So <laughs> uh Alaska is so freaking beautiful. And uh it's like you it's funny, you see like pictures of other mountains and Sean's like, oh, it's that's not as good as Alaska, you know. So, Those are hills. Those are hills. Yeah. Yep. I try not to be like that guy. And I like now that I, when I go home. I like, I remember the first couple of times I went home, I was like, you guys, it's just so amazing in Alaska and da, 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 da. And now I go home and I'm like, I try to avoid talking about Alaska about as much as I possibly can. Cause it's just like, I can't describe it to you. If you have questions, I'll be glad to discuss it with you. But like, I realized people really don't care. They're like, all right. I'm like, yeah, there's mountains and it's beautiful. It's like, it's not a sick story. It's not a great story. You're like, yeah, I went hiking and there was mountains and it was pretty. And then you show them the picture and they're like, sick. It's like, all right, most people don't really care, you know, and if they will care when they show up here, though, you know, kind of thing. And that's why yeah. I'm always trying to tell tell people, come on up, dude. It's, it's a special place and, and you, you do it in the summer and do it in the winter because it's two different places. Speaking of uh, Speaking of cool experiences in the mountains. You guys want to climb Denali this May? I'm in, dude. Fully in. So we got 100%. we got plans to go go for the summit. Who? Uh, so far, myself, Dallas, potentially Kelly Maxner, uh, Jake said he was interested in doing it, and uh, Griffin as well, who's worked at the kennel before. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'd be super down. I would i'm in terrible shape probably but i could get in shape for may it's december yeah all you have to do is just wear a backpack with like you know 50 60 pounds of bricks in it for everything you do you go shopping <laughs> carry around and some then bricks. just like see if, you, see if you can get like in an environment where you have like 60 percent of the oxygen that you typically yeah do. he's got to get one of those like vein masks and then put dudeki on your back in one of those little dog carriers and then just walk around and you'll be prepped Dudaki, for those of you who do don't it. know, Dudaki is referring to <laughs> Sean's dog, Jack, who has you the nickname. The darkness is your ally. <laughs> Sorry, that was my, I had to do my bane. All right, bane. so I got I to gotta bring us back in for a second on some mushing stuff. Oh, right, 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 mushing. Yeah. Sorry, I just yeah, wanted to I hang think, out with my buddy. I think that is like the focus of of. All right, fine. But uh, so one thing that... uh. I've been kind of curious about is I know that there is uh, like certain requirements that you need for a race to have in your sled. And I've been kind of curious if there are items outside of that, that you are like, man, if I don't take this for this upcoming series or for this next race or whatever it may be, it, it might not be like something that you traditionally would think about, but is there anything that is, 
just like I got to have this that maybe someone wouldn't uh, think of when you go on these events or on these series? Um, I don't know if for some of the stuff, it might it might seem obvious if you live in Alaska. But like I I don't mush anywhere without a gun anymore at all. Uh, and that's just from having multiple experiences with moose run-ins on the trail. And it's just something that I, I feel the need to always have with me. And that's not a requirement, but a lot of people around here do carry those. And then, I don't know, besides that, there's, I mean, a lot of it's just kind of like the small comfort things, I feel like. So for work, I mean, working for someone like Dallas, he's very much like, you know, he won't really bring much extra of anything. And to me, like, you know, having an extra pair of dry gloves or an extra pair of dry socks can really change your, the way you see your experience going when you're out there. <laughs> and for someone like Dallas, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't even change his shirt the entire Iditarod. And I love having a clean shirt waiting for me after like three, 400 miles, having like a fresh base layer to put on when you've been running up hills and sweating and something about that. Just flips around my mental, I don't know, headspace. But yeah, there isn't really a whole lot that I that I really consider necessary. I don't know, having a pair of headphones uh, can really make life a little bit better when you're. It's great. Yeah, that is a crazy moment when you're like, I've been hearing silence in my own thoughts for like the last ninety hours, and then you just like put in some music. You ever just like in in general for anybody. You ever just not listen to music for like a couple of weeks and you for because you forgot that that's what you should be doing. And then you like listen to music and you're like, oh, that's why I've been sad. I haven't listened to music in a while. OK, no music like like my my personality. I mean, music is a big part of, of who I am. And so I can listen to music and it'll change my complete attitude. And so if I'm like spiraling into negative thinking, like, oh, my gosh, this storm is is this we're going so slow like what's going on i put on some good music and i'm i've actually been pull listening out to the trumpet dude just pull it out yeah actually i had just uh i just did an interview with uh greg heister yesterday and i i pulled my trumpet out and played a little ditty for him in the dog oh game. no dude nice. that's gonna be a huge hit oh my gosh and and what's actually really perfect about it was is dallas was feeding his dogs in the background and I was playing and this as the sun was coming up and all of his dogs that had just finished eating were all howling. Ooh. Oh my gosh. That's so it's, cool. It's pretty perfect. We'll have to check that out for sure. So I'm actually, so uh, still on the theme of mushing, I, I was talking to Greg about it and I'm like, has anyone ever played a musical instrument from their sled crossing the finish line on front street? And he's like, no. And I'm like, would that be like a breach of any kind of rules if like my dad were to like hand me my horn coming down Front Street and I play a little ditty? And he's like, I would love that. <laughs> the hell yeah, dude. That's, that's awesome, man. I'm going to have my dad fly with my horn out there. And then another cool thing is that whole finishing week in Nome, a band I used to play with back in the day on and off, is going to be playing. Blackwater? Yeah. Nice. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to, depending on what time I finish, I'm just going to roll right off the sled and then just straight onto the stage, baby, straight onto the stage to play a little ditty, a little ditty, dude. You're like a classically trained trumpet player, right? Something. Is that what they say? 
I did play classical music, but my my jam was was more uh, jazz. I played a lot of jazz, jazz. a lot of funk. Played some ska. Got some really ska, done. dude. That is that's what trumpets are. Yeah, I played in marching bands, and I'm still disappointed that when I came to visit Sean, you left like that same day. Because like I'm sure we you would have pulled that out at some point, and we would have just jammed out and had a good time. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Sean and I have uh, many memories of playing music around burning piles of trash until the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, I'm always quick to pull out the guitar. No one asked for it. No, you know, no not not a single no. person has ever no. said, "Hey, Sean, would you mind playing a guitar?" But I, oh, I you, play. Sean, it. you know how to play the guitar? Will you go ahead and grab that for us? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. never happens. I actually nope. am always just ready. And then they're like, hey, could you shut the hell up? I'm trying to have a conversation. And I'm just like, you're my wonder wall. You know, so it's uh, it's pretty fun for everybody, I think. Yeah. So, so Isaac, I was curious about, um, you know, what, how long have you, like, what's the longest series you've done? Or like, what's the most mileage you've, you've thrown down in, in one, you know, uh series or event or anything i was just thinking about that the other day i don't i don't think i've gone any more in like a single series where we're actually like we're not like i don't know where we're actually out on the trail i can't say i've done more than four 450 miles in a single go but i have done a couple of yeah no more than 400 fucking weak dude kidding me (laughs) you haven't done a thousand already god well, no, I'm just asking from the stand. I'm just asking from the standpoint of you know, uh, where's your head at when you think about okay, well, you've you've gotten about half half the way of the Iditarod before, you know, what was that experience like running 400, 450, um, and you know, like how 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 are you on sleep deprivation? I'm kind of curious about you know some of some things that maybe you haven't experienced before and, and where your head's at, um, you know, with that coming up. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, I feel like, I feel like every rookie in a race, like the Iditarod probably has to come to terms with it's something they've never even gotten close to doing and then are about to go do. Uh, and at some point it's just going to be just figuring it out. Like, I mean, mushing is, and something that mushing mentors have always told me is like, you're, you're just running dogs, you know, whether you're going for 200 miles or 400 miles, it's, you're just running dogs. And granted after 500 miles, there's, I imagine there, there's a, a set of, you know, there's, there's going to be things that I haven't experienced yet that I've only heard about. And as far as like how the dog team begins to change when it comes to traveling and eating and resting and all that stuff. But, you know, you're just gonna have to take it in stride and, I feel like I've learned a lot from the people that I've been training with and, and I feel pretty well prepared, but I don't think anything's going to actually prepare you for what 900 miles into a thousand mile race looks like until you're 900 miles into a thousand mile race. So it's kind of just, I mean, I think now all I can do is try and prepare my team and myself as much as I can to, to be, to be ready for it. And then once we get out there, we'll just have to just figure it out just go from there but it is definitely uh you know the longest race i've ever done is 300 miles and even at the end of a 300 mile race you're like Whew, i'm tired like, dude, the 300s are slept on dude because everybody's thousand miles uh did a ride uh, okay sure yeah i did a ride's like hard or whatever 
I guess. But like, dude, the 300 mile race, like, dude, at the finish line, first of all, you sleep almost zero on a 300 mile race. And I don't know, dude, they're not to be messed with. I, at the end of my 300 mile races, I, it was, it was like, I don't know. That, I, I felt like in some ways more tired than I did at the end of the I did a ride both times because, uh, you know, you're like you're in travel mode by by day 10 on the trail. Like you just vibing, dude. You're like, I'm used to the two hour nap or the one hour nap and I get in a couple of those. And then you go to sleep when you're done with it and you're you wake up after a couple hours, you know, you're just like and you're feeling well rested, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, with the 300, you never really get to that mode. It's just like it's just like a punch in the face. I don't know. I think uh, and and yeah, I don't know. That's my take on it. Yeah. I mean, like in 300 miles, I don't. I feel like by the finish line, I'm just I'm just starting to get into that groove and then you're done because mm-hmm. I like I really don't sleep in 300 mile races. I've never been able to. I think it's the heroic amount of chocolate covered espresso beans that I'm eating. Oh, yeah. So I go to lay down. I'm like, wow, cool. I have like an hour and a half to maybe catch a nap. I sit there in my sleeping bag, just like twitching. I'm like, oh, oh, some really strong coffee beans. (laughs) That's a power move right there. The the chocolate covered coffee bean. Uh, So the obviously, you know, we don't really need to talk too much about this if you don't want to, but you know, it, it's worth bringing up the now mo- the incident you were involved with in, and on the Denali highway. And now there's uh, Mike Parker and Jim Lanier's dogs. Uh, that is pretty much Id- uh, almost identical uh, instance and such a bummer, you know, um, I have, I have my thoughts on it, but you know, Firstly, I'm my condolences, you know, we've already talked, we've already, but, you know, obviously that was an insanely difficult thing for anyone to go through. You were there, you know, and so was a couple other people, Josiah and Dallas. And yeah, it's a pretty fucked up. So, uh, you know, what are your thoughts? And you don't, if you don't want to talk too much about it, that's, we can, we don't have to dwell on it too much, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, kind of every musher's worst nightmare. I mean, that's something I've always prided myself in is being able to take care of my dogs in any scenario. And like you were saying earlier, like I've seen a lot of stuff with dog teams. I've been in moose attacks. I've had my team tangled up in moose, you know, and I've been able to handle those situations and no, none of my dogs were ever hurt. And I like, I pride myself in being able to handle anything and take care of my dogs and that trust that they build just like looking at me and they're like, you got me. like this guy, he's, he's going to take care of me. He's going to give me food. He's going to take care of me on the trail. And I've always prided myself in that. And then in a scenario like that, you feel very, very out of control. Cause there's very little you can do, but I mean, at the end of the day, the, the response time of everyone from, from the kennel and just like how, how we were able to get out of there and, and the, the dog's lives we were able to save was pretty incredible being that we were i mean off the road system and had no cell service and but we i mean it was like it was like a nascar pit crew people came from all out of the woodwork and were helping and so it was it was really 
cool on a positive note to see the mushing community just stepping up super quickly in a pretty remote part of Alaska and being able to see that was I guess a positive of the situation but it is pretty it is a pretty big bummer all the dogs that were were injured or or didn't make it were all a part of my just my every qualifying race I ever did was with was with those dogs and just yeah it hits close to home and you know but I guess now it it does kind of give me a little bit of a little bit of motivation to try and do well in the I did rod for them in the back of my head I think about it I'm like you know because they would have more than likely been on Dallas's team or my team depending on on where they ended up but yeah it's a Definitely would never wish that on another musher ever or any animal lover with their animal. Pretty, pretty tough to handle. And I thought I'd be pretty good at handling it, but it's still, it's still pretty fresh for sure. And I don't really know how to go forward now with there being a second event happening 10 miles away from the exact same spot where our, uh, deal happened you know stuff i know a lot of people have a lot of things to say right now on the internet yeah it's a blessing and a curse the internet and the social media and everybody just can just float their opinion out there emotions are high yeah it's i think you know that obviously ripping down the highway and super high speeds is a little bit unsafe, you know, but it's also like, you know, if, if you think you have the, it's on a straightaway and you think you can do it or whatever, great. You, you know, if it's snowing and windy and stuff, it's hard to see a, a dark dog team. And, you know, I think this, you know, if any, if any good comes of this, I, I and I'm certainly there will be something good that comes of it. It's going to be that, you know, hopefully snow machiners are slowing down on the Denali highway. Hopefully that word gets around and they're, in any uh, traffic at all you know you're yielding to because it is a highway it's not the it's not it is kind of the wilderness but ultimately it's not really it's it's a it is a you know state state road and and then you know mushers are i would think are going to be anytime they especially on the denali highway or any frequented trail by snow machiners are going to be having as much reflective gear as they possibly can having you know lights around um illuminated lights around your lead dogs um you know i never i i think we had some some harnesses that were reflective over the years and some weren't i didn't really put too much like attention on to whether or not they were reflective um and now you know moving forward if i'm running a dog team um i'm think especially on the denali highway i'm thinking all right let's like what can we do to be like the most obvious thing that these guys can see and uh you know it's easy to place blame on you know i see people saying oh you should have had your dog team better illuminated and that's the other of course the all the mushers you know a lot of them would say shame on the on the snowmobile for the snowmobile or for the reckless driving and uh yeah i think you know both sides can learn from it and you know i i don't want to i i don't know what i think of it and whatever i just said you know don't you know i don't know if i said i'm not i don't know what the right thing is to say there but you know i i think 
as everybody just kind of keep an open mind to, you know, what, what can be done to avoid something like this ever happening again. Um, Cause there's a pretty long history of dog teams and snow machines getting in these accidents. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely just, you know, and from my experience moving forward into a did rod, it definitely gave me a, something I wasn't necessarily worried about a little bit more of a foothold. You know, I was talking to up at the ACE race, I was talking to Bridget Watkins actually. And she was talking about uh, different stories, you know, from, from Allie and experiences they'd have with snow machines. And she was giving me some really good tips and tricks on, you know, camping on the river, kind of like going to Squintna and, and like what she does to keep her team safe with reflective tape on, on ski poles making an x in front of her team and just covering all this stuff because she's like there's going to be a ton of snow machiners going up and down the river that first leg of the iditarod it was never something i was really that concerned about until recently and now i'm like oh man i gotta take out a credit card just to go buy reflective tape because i'm gonna buy a lot of it and like anything that is reflective and you've seen my parka it's obnoxious It is. It's bright orange. They call me the street cone because I bright orange covered in reflective stuff. And, you know, so, yeah, but I, I don't know. It's, it definitely is a bummer, you know, just, just the highway in general always felt like a very safe space for mushers, a very safe place to go train that people from all over the state travel to. And it's a great place to, cause it's wide, it's nice and open and you can get some quality miles in and, really get get your team moving and camping and and uh yeah i've already talked to a lot of people that are just not really too excited to go back to the highway after this last month so it's kind of that's a bummer you know and uh uh just a a follow-up question i have is um is it just kind of coincidence that it happened so close to each other or do you think that there is something more, uh, something else that needs to to be done to fix this problem? You know, I it it is it's pretty stinking wild that it happened where it happened, and kind of in a similar fashion, I guess you'd say. But, I like I don't know. I mean, I feel like people just need to understand that we share the trail you know it's it's just like being a mountain biker and you know being a someone who rides horses on the trail and just you know understanding that there are certain right-of-ways and and trail etiquette you know because i would say 99 percent of the people we passed when we were out training there last week they'd pull their snow machine completely over and they'd stop and let us pass some people would even be taking pictures and waving and you know and there's 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 a very respectful way to pass a dog team with a motorized vehicle you know and and i don't even think you have to necessarily stop but i think the the respectful thing to do would be to slow down because you can't really control whether or not your dog team stays on that that side of the road you're running down i mean i've had dog teams like oh there's a porcupine over there and try or a bird you know and they try and run across the other side of the trail they're not nearly as predictable as what some people might think you know, and they oftentimes will do what they're supposed to do, but not all the time. And I don't know. I think we all just have to realize that we're not the only people on the trail. And whether that means 
reflective gear or just, you know, slowing down to match the trail and the conditions and the weather. I don't know, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're all, we're all out here trying to have fun and we're all trying to just enjoy Alaska. So I think there's definitely a way to do that. Um, but there's, there's also a wrong way to do it. So sure. I don't know. <clears throat> Sean, you're on. There's no rules out there on the Denali highway. You know, it's like, there is, of course, there are laws or whatever, but like you go and you get, you show up to the Denali Highway, there's a giant sign. It says, once you go past the sign, you have like zero help and you should bring, you know, all the survival gear and for extreme winter conditions. And there's like, then you get on the highway and they, they, you know, I think it was only within the last 10 or 15 years that they put the milepost markers on the highway. And then, you know, th there's pretty much, I think there's one sign for like a hunting area and maybe like a, oh, this is you're a hundred miles from the end of the highway kind of sign, but there's really like no signs out there. You know, there's probably some rules you could look up, but you really have to like search the internet long and hard for it. Um, but that's like the attractive part of that highway is you get out there and it's like you're on your own, you know, you do kind of what you want to do. And uh, but the reality is, you know, there's there's other people doing that same thing. So you got to be respectful of each other, just like going on a hiking trail and you're behind somebody that's hiking slow and you want to pass them or whatever. You're the slow person and someone's behind you, you might just scoot over. Um, so, yeah, it's it's super surprising that that and uh yeah you know <clears throat> i think um there's not going to be there's really not a solution that's just going to be like just do this you know it's yeah. like ultimately it's everybody's own responsibility to be respectful out there you know yeah yeah i you know and it's yeah like we we all just want to have fun we all, all want to like don't get me wrong i love riding snow machines i love it I just bought my first one a couple of weeks ago and I, I, I love riding snow machines, but after this situation, you know, after this whole thing that's happened this last over the last month, I definitely have come to realize that riding a snow machine is literally like riding a little like crotch rocket missile, you know, like seeing the damage that one of those things can do at high speeds is pretty, pretty sobering and so you know as much as i like going fast it's kind of changes the way that i see myself riding snow machines because it's not not something i ever want to be on the, the the flip side you know of being the one to cause an accident like that yeah i'm sure those guys don't feel great about you know being, the on, the, being on the receiving end makes you feel pretty shitty and and you know being on the other end i can imagine probably feels just as bad if not worse so yeah yeah at the end of the day i think we can all we can all learn from it it's just unfortunate that it had to affect dogs you know but yeah so yeah. one thing i wanted to ask kind of switching the subject a little bit um maybe we kind of wrap things up here on a more positive note um we sean and i were talking about a video we saw uh where dallas i am assuming that you were on this same trip with dallas where y'all ran out of gas and he had to 
to mush to Jesse's to get gas. Is there, can you tell us a little bit more about that story? So I actually, I actually wasn't out there, but um, yeah, so I, I was actually sitting right where I'm sitting right now and I get a, I get a, a phone call from someone from the kennel and they're like, Hey, I just got a in reach message um, from Dallas, basically saying that they ran out of gas truck mushing out. And, and, you know, they asked, Hey, could you ask anyone, you know, who lives in the area to see, you know, like if you reach out to like Jesse Holmes or something like that. And so I hit up Jesse and he responded almost immediately. I was like, Hey, I hate to bother you. It was kind of, it was a little bit later at night, but but we've got a crew out there and they're just ran out of gas and they're, they're not too about 45 minutes from away from where he lives in brush cannon. And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm getting dressed now. I'll be out there shortly. And so I wasn't actually involved in it, but, but uh, yeah, he, Jesse told me afterwards, he's like, it was actually, it was, it was a great time. He's like, we, we hung out and, and, and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, that I, he told me, yeah, I, I, th- I thought it was going to be pretty easy, uh, you know, this year racing against Dallas. But after I saw him, the way his mind works, building that sled, he's like, I don't know, I might, I might be up against some competition. <laughs> but to be completely honest, I think Dallas actually had a lot more fun doing that than just the normal mush out without running out of gas. Like he loves stuff like that. He loves when things go wrong. Like he's a problem solver, you know, in the core of who he is. He loves doing that. He loves doing that type of stuff. So, yeah, the problem solving. I think that was something you got to you want. You don't want to say. I've I've said it and then regretted saying it, but it's like sometimes it's a bummer when you just have like a perfectly smooth and boring run. You're like, oh, what can't like something go down that I, they need me, the hero, to fucking do something, you know? But yeah, it's like that's that's got to be real fun to figure out. You know, how am I gonna? We got this giant truck and all these dogs, and well, we got plenty of power with, with the dogs. Let's we didn't bring any sleds, you know, and they find a piece of plastic to sit on and have the dogs pull them to Jesse's. That's pretty. That look. That was pretty cool, man. You know, it's funny though is we've actually. I remember on a trip last year, we were talking about it. And I'm like, well, like, what would you do if we ran out of gas out here? And he he already had a plan, and he basically described exactly what he ended up doing. But this was last year. So he's like, oh, I already have a plan on how to build a sled. I'd mush out. I'd mush straight to the gas station, go fill up a jerry can and mush back. And So the yeah. gas station would be interesting because you're, like you're on a real fucking road going to the gas station. That would be pretty funny. Just have a car pass you. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. No, nothing <laughs> yeah, to like, see here. You, you get you get to the stop sign. And you, right, you, you go right past the trooper station right there. And then you get to the stop <laughs> sign. And it's like. You're like to, at the highway, like the actual highway, highway. Right. The real, like the, yeah, the Denali Highway is like a misnomer to say the least. It's a dirt road, the dirt road. Which in the wintertime can, can humble you if you're not prepared. I've been out there. I've been out there before. And I mean, Sean, you know, it, it can be a, it can be an experience out there. Cold and windy for sure. Cold and windy. Yeah, yeah, there's sometimes it gets really windy out there, and it's and then right where Jesse lives, I, this guy dude, poor Jesse, just like so cold. the cold, like the the coldest place on the Denali Highway is where he lives. It's just like, we we went through last year when I was training with Kelly Maxner, and we went through, and it was cold, and I didn't have a working thermometer with me at the time, and I I just started running, 
And like I look back and Kelly was putting straw in his overboots, like stuffing straw from camp into his overboots. And he's like, how cold is it? I'm like, I don't know. We got back to the parking lot in Cantwell. And I, I hit up Jesse on Facebook. I'm like, how cold was it? And he's like, oh, it was like 57, 60 below. And I was like, Geez. <laughs> like it felt oppressive. You know, like 40 below is like pretty cold, but 60 below, it's like 40 below. It's pretty good. I mean, like, you know, 40 below is like, okay, you got to be prepared. You got to be dressed. Otherwise, things could go bad. But 60 below is kind of like, it's almost funny. You're like, this is so cold because 60 below is 15 degrees away from the average winter temperature on Mars. 75 below is the average winter temperature on Mars. 25 below is the average summer temperature on Mars. That's cool. crazy. That's a crazy stat. I like that yeah. stat. Big fan. Big fan. <laughs> yeah, I listened to a podcast with Elon Musk the other day, so you know. Mm. Remember something from that. Nice. Well, Sean, uh, did you have any uh, other questions that, or anything else we needed to discuss before we wrap things up for this episode? Yeah, but not not for the podcast. And, uh, yeah, I think <laughs> thanks for hanging, hanging Isaac and, uh, glad we got to do it. And, you know, I might've been slightly low energy uh, today cause I have, I'm feeling a little fevery, but you know, it's not that hard to talk. So, uh, but my brain feels a little like, n- like not dialed in, but it, um, I hope, I hope this is someone found this entertaining at some point. Yeah. We got past that, uh, that beginning part where you were bringing the energy strong, my guy. <laughs> well it's always good to talk to you guys i'm glad i got to get both of you in the same uh same room together so that's good dude i can't wait to the do Zoom one room. of these i can't wait to do one of these when the we're all three actually in person like in a in the same room together so we look forward yeah. to that one is that gonna happen soon is that gonna happen we're trying to get a sponsor to fly Brendan out here. So yeah, if there's any sponsors, if the guy with that, the with the private jet can hook that up, it'd be pretty sick. I've, I've actually been uh, I've been I've been sending messages to people I think might have private jets. I I kid you not. I I sent a I sent a message to Joe Rogan the other day and was just like, hey, if you have a private jet, would like let us use it? I think it'd be pretty cool Dude. with you. Joe just had uh like some guy from a bull riding, I believe, on his podcast. And then, you know, bull riding's got plenty of heat from activists and stuff, but they also have like so much financial backing from just it's like the you know, people are gonna love that. And it's a Texas PBR. thing and yeah, PBR, yeah. Marlboro. So you know, and then we don't we don't have that backing because we're all the way out up here and it's remote and uh, inconvenient. And but I'm like, dude, if you're gonna have a rodeo guy on there, like, should holler at your boy Dallas, come down and and that would single handedly, you know, having Dallas talk to Joe Rogan about mushing with pretty much. Well, I, so I've actually I, I've reached out because he's interested in being on it, but he's he just he doesn't have the time to be reaching out. So I. I sent a, a couple messages because I think it'd be interesting because not only that, I mean, you know, being who he is as a musher, also being as a wrestler, I think he'd have a lot in common being able to talk to him as the only state champion wrestler from Alaska and, you know, being in the Olympic trials at a very young age and all that kind of stuff. But 
Yeah. Yeah, that, that I think that would be an amazing thing to set up. So, uh, Joe, I'm sure you're listening. Um, if you know, make it happen. Let's make it happen. 